Please be seated. We'll be continuing our series in Ephesians, so kindly keep your Bible open at Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be looking at the verse, at verse 14 to 21, which was read just now. There is a bulletin, uh, there's an outline in the middle of the bulletin if you'd like to follow. Let's start with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that the words that I will speak would accurately reflect what you want us to hear. And Father, as unworthy as I am, I pray that you will grant me mercy so that I will be able to bring your word to my brothers and sisters here. And Father, grant us mercy so that we will hear your word and we will respond in our spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A salesman sold a farmer a chainsaw. He said, this will easily cut 50 trees a day. The farmer, having acquired a great power to do his job, went back happy. The next morning, the farmer stormed into the store and threw the chainsaw back at the counter. I can barely cut down two trees with this contraption, the farmer shouted. The salesman took the chainsaw, pulled the cord, and immediately the chainsaw roared to life with a loud sound. The farmer jumped back in wonder, hey, what is that noise? Having power does not mean that we are benefiting from it correctly. Christians have the Holy Spirit in them, but are they like Jesus Christ? We are still imperfect, aren't we? We have the power within us, but there is something lacking when we look at how our lives look like. This is the same question that Paul addresses in our passage today. Now, before we go into the text, you would have noticed throughout the passage, throughout Ephesians, that Paul speaks about power again and again and again. So in Ephesians 1, Paul tells us of God's immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. He also tells us that Christ is seated far above every rule and authority and power. In Ephesians 3, verse 7, we see that Paul's ministry is given to him in God's power. Again and again, Paul emphasizes the idea of power. And in our text today, which is a prayer, Paul prays for power. Why? Now, to understand this, we need to understand the context of the people of Ephesus. Now, in Acts chapter 19, we will see how Paul comes to Ephesus and the situation that they were in. You see, the people of Ephesus has always been seeking power because of their culture and the situation. When they see Paul working miracles, they brought back handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched, and they were able to use it to heal the sick or the possessed. Jewish exorcists, such as the sons of Sceva, attempted to replicate the same power that Paul possessed by seeking to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. Of course, they did not have the power which was in Paul, 
which led to them getting a whacking from the demon they tried to exercise. We also see that when believers came to Christ in Ephesus, many have been practitioners of magic arts. In fact, they had spent a fortune on it, which can be seen when they surrendered their magical text to be burned when they became Christian. The amount was 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, this amount translates into 24 million ringgit in today's currency. 24 million ringgit in just that one city for magical books. You see, the Ephesians felt that they needed power. They were in Ephesus, where the temple of Artemis was, where the worship of Artemis was in full force, and they were challenged. And they felt threatened for holding on to what they believe in. They were in a nation of a monolithic and overpowering religion which is hostile to them. And they were the minority religion. You can sympathize and understand why they desire for power, can't you? Throughout this letter to the Ephesians, Paul then shows them where power can be truly found. And this is what we will see in our passage today. Now come with me to verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Paul begins with, for this reason. And this shows us that this part of this passage is related to what Paul had been speaking about before this. And Paul is doing this in response to what we see last week in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So Paul is doing this for them so that they will stay firm and faithful, so that they will hold on to their faith. Now, we have seen in Ephesians about how God is fully sovereign, and we have seen how God has put Christ above every power and dominion. And so, in acknowledgement of the power of God, Paul bends his knees before the Father. He comes in prayer with knees bent, which is an appropriate posture to adopt when you come before this glorious, all-powerful Father. It signifies humility, surrender. And then we are told that every family in heaven and on earth is named from God the Father. And this shows us how God is the originator of all people, and His Fathership is the model of authority that is repeated in every family. Children submit to their fathers. Citizens submit to their kings. All humans, therefore, are called to submit to God. It is to this Father that Christ, the Son himself, who is above all things, he himself submits to. So he is the sovereign Father. And thus, it is right for Paul to bend his knees and come before God in prayer. And what does Paul pray? Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, 
His desire is for the Father to be working in the lives of the Ephesian Christians. In the riches of the Father's glory, He will glorify these people that He has predestined and called to be His true Christ. And so this is what Paul is asking then, that God will strengthen the inner beings of Christians with power. See, Paul is speaking in this language of power which the Ephesians can relate to and understand. But we have to ask the question, what does this power look like? Is it about being able to suddenly burst out in tongues? Is it about miracles, healings and exorcisms? Paul performed this. Is it the power to make wishes and desires come true? Now, let's admit it. This is what we normally think about as power when we think about the power coming from God to someone. And this is what a lot of churches will teach and preach when they talk about God acting in power. However, Paul clearly defines here what this power that he's praying for actually looks like. Come with me to verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Friends, this is real power. Not the type that we normally associate with the idea of power, but rather it reveals to us what real power is. And this is what real power looks like. It is the working of the Holy Spirit in the inner being to change our characters and convictions. Real power is about Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. Now at this point, you may ask, but doesn't Christ already dwell in the hearts of the believer through the Holy Spirit? Isn't Paul praying for something that they already have? Think about it. In what way is Paul's prayer portraying this idea of Christ dwelling in our hearts? Now, there's two types of way that Christians handle this idea of Christ dwelling in them. The first is, Christ is seated at the corner of our hearts and we bring him out on Sundays. We are all godly, all nice people on Sundays. And then as soon as Monday comes, as soon as our normal life resumes, we put him to the corner to be dusted off next Sunday, and then we live our lives the way we want to. That's what many of us do, don't we? Maybe we are called to join Bible studies during the weekdays. Maybe it's about serving our brothers and sisters in their sickness and difficulties. Oftentimes, we don't want to do this. We don't want to reflect Christ through our actions. Or perhaps you're at work and you have an opportunity to share the gospel, you're challenged to share the gospel, and you get scared and you think of excuses of why we should not do it. No, I don't want to disturb the relationship we have. It will make things awkward. We start making excuses so that we can justify not sharing the gospel. Even our hearts where Christ dwells, shows problems. Some compartments of our hearts are filled with sin, our own desires and ambition, and we refuse to surrender that to the very Christ who dwells in that very heart. Now, 
while imperfect, while you still struggle, you are still Christian if your faith is genuine. Disobedient Christians, but still saved. Christ still dwells in you. And if you look at the prayer that Paul prays, that isn't what he's talking about. He isn't talking about merely being saved. Which brings us to the second way to see how Christ dwells in us. You see, the second way is when Christ fully rules over your life. You are like a glove. And Christ, he is the hand that fills the glove and does the work. And you know what that looks like? Here's some examples. When you are beaten and stoned for proclaiming Christ, you get up, you go to the next village, and you preach Christ there. When you are jailed, you proclaim Christ to the other prisoners. Then you teach the other prisoners to sing hymns and to praise God. You bring the gospel to your jailers. You live and breathe in order to serve God. And you will count all things as vain in light of the gospel. And you will start saying things like, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, this is what we see in Paul's life. And this is why Paul is praying for the Ephesians. As he asks God to let Christ dwell in them. This is the purpose that Paul asks for power for the Ephesians. He's actually saying, may Christ rule their hearts fully. And this is what Christ hopes for us. That Christ, ruling over our hearts, allows us to give ourselves to the work of the Spirit within us. This is true power in the life of believers. But this power isn't without a purpose. And as we continue reading verse 17, we see the next point that Paul makes. See, Paul hopes that they will be rooted and grounded in the knowledge of God's love. To be rooted and grounded, it points to this imagery of a large tree or a stone building. And for it to be secure and firm, the foundations have to be strong. The roots need to go deep. See, it isn't about the roots or the foundation, but it's trying to say that for that foundation to stand firm and strong, the roots must go deep. And in that same way, love is the soil in which believers grow in. Love is what believers are rooted in. Love is the foundation. See, relying on the love of God deeply, understanding the love of God deeply, trusting in the love of God deeply, this is what makes Christian firm, strong. This is what changes a Christian's life. And friends, these things can only come through the Spirit working in us, through Christ dwelling in us. See, if we know of God's love for us, for Christ's love for us, but we are not rooted and grounded in that knowledge of the love, then this understanding of love 
will not permeate your lives. This understanding of love will not invade your heart and your minds. This understanding of love will not change your decisions. This understanding of your love will not rule over you. It is not about knowledge, but an understanding that grounds and changes us. But why does he want Christ to rule in their hearts? Why does he want them to understand God's love? Verse 18, so that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, Paul brings out this idea of strength. Strength to be able to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. In other words, the full dimension of God's character towards us, of God's love, of God's purposes. And we are to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. This means that the love of Christ is so great that we cannot naturally fully comprehend it. And yet, we are called to know and understand this love. We are called to be grounded in this love. This love that we cannot comprehend by ourselves. We are called to have knowledge of this love that surpasses all knowledge. But we can't do it on our own. And this is why we need power from God. This is why Paul prays this power, that God enables us in power to be able to understand this love that is beyond understanding. And in understanding it, to be filled with the fullness of God. And this then is the final goal of all that power and knowledge working in the heart of a person, which is to bring him to the fullness of God. And this fullness of God is when God is fully dwelling in us. I say fully, not because there are people in whom God is partially dwelling or 70% dwelling. Believers are the temple of God. And God dwells in all of us. But when I say fully, it is talking about the fullness of that potential being realized. It is when God dwells in us and we respond to Him in love and we become changed. Our characters change and we reflect an image of God. In the same way that Christ Himself through what he did, reveals to us the image of God. It's about total surrender. It's about obedience to him. See, this is the ultimate goal of being predestined, of being saved, of being called to be the church, of having the spirit put in you, to be growing in Christ-likeness. The whole point is so that you are filled with the fullness of God to be like God in character as a son 
imitates his father. It is this change as God indwells within us that Paul ultimately wants the Ephesians to experience. And so having prayed this, Paul then ends in a doxology, a declaration of praise to God. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. God is able to do what he wants. And for us, God does far more abundantly than we ask because he is a generous father. He wants what is good for us and he blesses us abundantly through this power at work within us, through this power at work within you. Through his power working within us to make us more like Christ, we become filled with the fullness of God. And you know, what does the fullness of God produce? Verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the same repeated idea seen throughout Ephesians. God demonstrates his mighty power in salvation for the sake of making his glory known. And so, it is right that when we finally comprehend how God works in us to make us one with Christ through his Spirit, that knowledge will draw out our praises to him and we will give him glory. The knowing, the comprehension, the understanding of God's work is all part of bringing us to his purpose in doing all this thing, which is to bring glory to his name as we are filled with the fullness of God. So then, how do we apply what we learn here about Paul's prayer for the Ephesians to ourselves? Well, firstly, we are to look at this prayer. We should desire for the fullness of God to be exhibited in our lives. Yet are we people who seek this fullness? Or are we more interested in searching after a different kind of fullness? the fullness of our ambitions, the fullness of our pleasure, the fullness of our wants, the fullness of our joys. Now, this may not be bad things, but more important than that should be our desire for the fullness of God. That should be the main priority and everything else should flow from that. So do we desire to know God better? Do we desire for his fullness to fill us? Ask yourself, how does your prayer look like? Have you been praying for the fullness of God to be exhibited in you? Or have you just been praying for your needs and wants? Do we desire to know God better? Do we desire for the Spirit to work in our hearts to make us more like Christ? Do we desire to love like Christ? 
Listen to God's words to you today. Desire to seek out the fullness of God's in your lives. But how do we find this fullness? That brings us to our second point. We see from the prayers, it is about knowledge. Paul doesn't pray about things that he wishes the Ephesians would do. Paul doesn't pray about the things that Ephesians should change in their lives. He first prays for knowledge. Knowledge that hits the hearts and changes lives. This knowledge is found in God's very words before you. It is found in the Bible. So if you're not reading it daily, if the Bible is not your constant companion, if you are not soaked in the Word of God, then my friends, I am sorry, you cannot experience the fullness of God. You can do many good things. You can come to serve every week. You can do charitable good deeds. You can volunteer to help at church. But ultimately, without the knowledge of who God is, what He has done for you, without coming to His Word to let it work in your heart, you will never love Him deeply enough to change your hearts. At most, your responses will be superficial. The Malays have a proverb, tak kenal, maka tak cinta. You can't love what you don't know. So seek to know more about God. Read His words. Be soaked in it. Study it. Discuss it. Pour over it. And as you do that, God will give you the strength to be able to comprehend the glorious love of Christ. Friends, I promise you, He will give you understanding of this great love that is beyond understanding. And in doing that, He will change your heart. And through that, He will grant you the fullness of God Himself. This then points us to our third application. Live out the fullness of God. As you grow in your love for Christ, as the Word starts taking root, as you start understanding this love that God has for you, you will respond. Your heart will change. You will start to love others more. You will become more self-sacrificial. Sins would stop being your primary desire in your heart. Yes, eventually. And as you live that out, that brings glory to God. As people see you changed by the gospel, they will give glory to God. And this is the whole point of why Paul wants the Ephesians to grow so that through them, God will be glorified. And perhaps it's worth asking yourself, would your friends, your family, look at you and give glory to God? What an amazing God to make this person act in this way. What an amazing faith. It's worth thinking about. So live out the fullness of God in your lives. 
And finally, for all the things that God has done in your salvation through Christ's death on the cross, through the work of the Spirit in you, for all these things, mirror Paul and give thanks to God. Praise Him in your prayers, in your talk, in your actions. Share it with people. And as we end now, I will say a prayer and then, and then I will invite us all to say together verses 20 and 21. And we will read this out as our prayer together because we too want to be people who give glory to God for what He has done in us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this message today. And Father, thank you for the work of your Spirit in us through your power. Thank you that Christ dwells in our hearts. And Father, we ask that through your power, that as we understand your love, as we are rooted and grounded in that love, that you yourself will be working in our hearts to bring about the fullness of you in our lives. Transform us, Father, for you are able to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now, we pray from verse 20 together. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.